Okay, we're here at WD40 in San Diego, and I'm here with Robin Bellucci. How you doing? Good. What's going on, Dale? Good, good, good stuff. Thanks for doing this. We're down at this uh, great, um, I don't know, what do you even call WD-40? The, the building. It's uh, San Diego. This is our global headquarters. So okay. This is where San Diego was uh, founded and born, and we still hold our global headquarters here. How, uh, how long have you been here? Because obviously it was like a year, two years now in this building. We moved into this new building a little over a year ago. Okay, and before that, WD was in the same spot since the seventies, I believe. Yeah, we were right off Marina Boulevard, a little closer into San Diego City, and yeah, they were there forever, and and that's where we used to mix concentrate and ship out of the whole deal. Right, cool, cool, cool. All right, we'll get more into the WD forty um, history and and your job there and all the cool stuff you do there. Um, but let's talk a little bit about you first and, and getting into bikes. And obviously, it was BMX first with you. So, uh, yeah, give us uh, your history on how you found BMX. Well, I owe that one to my parents. Um, I was three or four, and uh, I think I was three. And there was a neighbor that uh, was a little concerned with my riding my bike in the middle of the street and uh, told my parents that there's this thing called BMX. They didn't know anything about it. And they took me to Kearney, and the rest is history, man. I, I raced there, and I, I think I just fell in love with it. I don't really remember but I just remember being five or six or you know, maybe late ages of four or just always at the track. So Kearney and then Cactus later on and then Y. Was, was the Vince deal. there then or was there somebody before Vince? No, it was before Vince. Uh, there was a, a lady named Debbie, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, she ran it and her, her kids raced as well, I think. But yeah, this was way, yeah, this was before Vince. Okay. Yeah. And who were some of the guys that you were riding with back then? I know, obviously, Jason Richardson. That was probably a bit later when you bumped into Jason, right? Yeah, Jason was later. Actually, I didn't meet Jason until I was racing mountain bikes. But back then, like, uh, Eddie King. So he was also kind of friends with my parents. Um, so I used to ride with Eddie. Uh, I used to go over to Eric Roop's house and do gates. I, I'm having a hard time remembering some of the young kids that I raced with. Well, you were so young. Though. I was yeah. so young, yeah. yeah. There was one kid, his nickname was Zorro, I think. He was super Sean Zorio. Yeah. Is he red for Redline, maybe? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, rings a bell. And then the Hausmans, but they didn't live in SoCal, but I'd see him at Oklahoma Grands and stuff. And yeah. Some of those guys, but yeah. So what kind of success you had as a racer? As a, as a kid, I think I did pretty good. I, I won some nationals. I remember I won Lemoore. I'd win gold cups. I'd go to grands and, and make mains. Um, but I only raced BMX until the age of 11 or so. But I eventually got on to the White Bear team with Charles Townsend. Oh, well, so that's before he was big time as well then, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was starting to win races at the time. And uh, that was kind of like right near the end before, before I ended up stopping. Right. So, um, yeah, so you stopped. Why did... Uh... Um, so my parents, they, they also had, had an older brother. He was getting ready to go to college, and my mom wouldn't let me travel alone. So back then in those days in BMX, like, it was pretty common for kids 11 or so to just, you know, jump in a trailer or a truck with the team and, and, and go places and race. And my mom was never going to be into that. So she couldn't travel anymore due to my brother kind of growing up. It wasn't due to him, but she just needed to be home more. Mm -hmm. So basically my parents were like, you can't, you can't race anymore. So that was pretty devastating. Oh, and then, of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I just, I had to stop and didn't, didn't race bikes for a handful of years. 
So during that period, you just just school and just regular yeah. kid stuff. Got into a bunch of trouble. Played ice hockey. Uh, tried some other sports. Wasn't really a big fan of it. So I, I mainly just got into trouble, to be honest. <laughs> now, would you still pay attention to what was going on in BMX at the time, or you just completely? Yeah, no, I'd still pay attention. Out. Yeah, I'd still pay attention and, and kind of keep up on it. But it was more one of those, like, I, I was honestly quite devastated. I was just bummed yeah. for a while. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anybody would have that. You're so young yeah. and you just discover something what you're just totally into. You know, for me, it was like it take, took out. To, I mean, so we've all got the same story. It just takes over, you know. So you think about all day. and Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd be able to do it. I had magazines in schools. I, I was not. Yeah, I was totally focused on BMX. But I do understand why my parents... It was a hard decision to make, but I think they made the right decision. Yeah. And then you came back into second time around. You kind of came back as the mountain bike boost, right? So when was that then? Like late 90s or? Uh, that would have been late 90s. Yeah. So I, I still kind of kept in touch with Eddie King and, uh, you know, he would, we went out on a couple mountain bike rides together, actually. He took me out on a mountain bike ride to, to Anderson Truck Trail, I remember. And then I just fell in love with it and I told him I wanted to race and... I was 15 at the time, and I was just about to get my driver's license. So then he put me in touch with Mikey. I ended up getting one of Mikey's old downhill bikes. What was it, a balance? It was a GT LTS. Okay, so he'd already gone from balance to GT then. Yeah, yeah he'd already yeah. gone to, yeah. So that I, was a nice bike, LTS. Yeah, it was one. It was yeah. a really nice bike, yeah. and, and I think my dad bought it from him for me. And then uh, I loaded up, went to Fontana. Uh, raced beginner, I think. In cross country or downhill? Downhill. Oh, obviously it was LTS, yeah, downhill. Yeah, yeah, I crashed my brains out. Right. I almost got last. I was like, forget beginner, I'm racing sport. Right. So back then, it was like, unlike BMX where you had to like win races and get points, you could basically move from beginner to expert with just on your own. Right. So within two races, I moved up to expert, but then it took me about three months. I kind of figured it out and then I started doing well in Junior X. Yeah. So then how did that progress then? Like regionally, you started doing different events and... Yeah, started regionally, started winning the local races and then moved up and started doing some of the nationals, made it onto the Junior Worlds team and then... Where was that at? Uh, Junior Worlds that year for me would have been Sierra Nevada, Spain. Um, Which is I, like 96-ish? No, this would have been 2000. Oh, okay. So yeah, I was about two years in at this point. So it took me a year to kind of figure out. I started it. I started racing in 98. And then by 2000, got up to speed. Um, I qualified for the team, but then I broke both my legs a week before uh, playing the Spain. Oh, so you didn't go. So I never no. got to race Junior Worlds. Yeah. Who, who won that in your class, you know? Uh, Miles, Miles Rockwell won pro, right? So Miles won pro, I think junior was Mick Hanna. Oh, wow. Yeah, I want to say it was Mick Hanna. He's still going strong now, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who were some of the guys you were racing with in the, in the U.S.? So like Houseman and people like that? For mountain bikes? Yeah. Yeah, basically I had to rewrite my whole story and come come back and race pro. So I ended up racing, yeah, Houseman, Carter, King, you know, for, with King, it was just a year or two, and then he ended up retiring. Uh-huh. Um, other guys, Chris Powell on the four cross side. And that's where I met you as well. I started doing a bit of four cross in the 2000s, probably mm-hmm. 2002, 2003. And I remember, I think I remember seeing you with Cedric because she was on that Cannondale team, right? Yes. So was that your first big major sponsor or? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so tell yeah. us a little bit about that team. That team was good. So I, I originally made it on to the, the national team and raced for Sobe Cannondale, which was at the time Sobe. was Aaron Chase and a couple other guys. 
And then uh, they saw some potential in me, so they started bringing me over to Europe. And then I got like a kind of a, a lower level um, sponsorship onto the factory Siemens team and then started doing all the World Cups. And uh, I did that for like three, four years. What kind of, so for you being on that team, um, did it like pay for everything or you travel and... Basically just expenses. Right. Yeah. But it's still a lot though in the World yeah, Cups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably legitimately only made a, a, a salary one year. Right. Yeah. The rest of the time it was getting expenses and, and you know, when, and, some podiums and, and whatever money was left over from that. And so you obviously raced downhill, slalom kind of eased into four cross. So mm-hmm. what did you like about, you know, which was your, your favorite discipline within those or you just kind of like to do it all? Man, that's hard. I really like doing it all. I was better at four cross, I think, with my BMX background and just, you know, head to head racing. Uh, downhill was always, uh, I, I kind of say it was like my first love in mountain biking because it was such a big challenge and I spent so much time to try to get good at downhill. Yeah. I never got, you know, into the podium level, cracked the top 20 a couple times in the World Cups, but. It was just really hard, and I loved that. I loved the challenge of it. it was, there was the equipment factor. There was weather conditions, terrain, um, fitness. It, it took a really complete rider. And so deep with talent, one to the World Cup downhill. I mean, it's and uh, I'm sure it is. I know it is is now, but even then, it was. You know, I remember when I used to go to and watch, watch the downhill when I was racing four cross. I mean, just so many good riders, all on good teams as well. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And downhill is one of those ones that for me was it was just long enough to think to be able to think. Mm-hmm. And that was always the biggest challenge with four cross. I, I feel like I just had this instinct. Mm-hmm. And so it came a little easier to me to be to be aggressive and, and just ride uh, with downhill, man. It was really like controlling the thoughts, controlling the mind, you know, putting all this time, energy into one run. Right. And that was uh, yeah, that was special. And we were talking about, you know, with uh, ECE, we just did e, uh, Eric Carter EC's podcast just last week, and we were just talking the, a little bit about that uh, before we hit record. Um, four cross was so deep, like downhill, but but then, you know, uh, there were, you know, say you got King, Carter, Lopes, and then you got the Euro guys. Um, yeah, so tell us about some of the guys that you, because uh, you made World Cup main in Scotland, right? Yep, I made main in Scotland, I made a handful of quarters, um, and then uh, semis. Yeah, I was racing. It was deep. It was you had a mixture of some really fast BMX guys like Roger Rinderneck, um, yes. Michael Del Deek, um, even Ollier came in and yeah. raced some four crosses. Yeah. You came in, um, Prokop, uh, Jared Pro, Graves. Prokop, yeah, he he made a career out of four cross. Jared Graves could go back and forth between BMX and four cross, but he was also a downhiller, so he's a very you know hugely rounded rider. Powell. Um, Powell was super strong, really smooth, didn't make a lot of mistakes. Uh, it was a deep field, yeah, for yeah. sure. You you had to show up, and, and all these guys were taking it serious. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was training, everyone had coaches. Basta Beaver. Basta, the, yeah, yeah. the boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and all those, it was funny, too, because all those guys were like my idols, too. I mean, I had posters of Eric Carter, of Mike King in my room, and right. you, know, you get to go race against them. Yeah. It was, it was fun. I remember when it, well, just just from the you know I think I did it for a couple of years you know a few races here and there but for me if I could get to a World Cup semi that was pretty I was pretty happy with that you know because mm-hmm. they were just like say so 
so tough, you know. So um, good times. What, what 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 do you think happened to Forecross? I know you know, and I'm going to actually have Scott Beaumont. We'll give him a shout out because we're going to do a podcast with him next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still keeping the the the, the fire burning for Forecross in Europe, you know, and yeah, Scotty does a good job and I'm looking forward to talking to him a little bit more about it. But like I say, you was in Forecross, Dual Slalom uh, uh, the, when it was huge, you know, if you watch those World world Championships, World Cups, I mm-hmm. mean, the, the crowds are just so deep with fans, people watching. What do you think really happened with all that then? Is it kind of, especially in the US, it really died off, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like in the US, it never really, on a regional scale, it never took off but i can speak from the world cups at least from a rider's perspective the some of the best courses so schladming fort william was pretty good um the course they built at leger for world champs the one that ec won was really good Mm -hmm. those courses were huge and and um i you know i wasn't involved in the in the costs of knowing how much it cost to build those but i had worked with ec a couple years and helped them build the four cross track at sea otter and the amount of time energy and Mm -hmm. and and cost with all the equipment that goes into building a really good course i just don't know if it was scalable for for the uci and for the world cup long term i could be wrong but uh from a rider's perspective it was it was a massive amount of work with downhill you know, you're working with natural terrain and you would build some man-made features. And today, you know, obviously they're putting a lot more effort into into the man-made features, but it just gets really expensive and it requires mm-hmm. a lot of labor and equipment. So I think it, I feel like it just came down to money and it wasn't scalable. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, it was, some of those races, especially in Europe, were huge, you know. They're insanely fun and they really, um, they really showcase like what you could do Mm-hmm. on a mountain bike i mean i remember going to woodward and riding the one of the first bmx supercross tracks and after riding the world cup all year that year mm-hmm. it wasn't that bad right yeah, yeah yeah and you always use suspension right even on four cross i did both right uh, yeah my last couple years racing i switched to a hardtail right um but the first couple years i did full suspension so yeah i could kind of go back and forth the hardtail was a little bit easier for me to get out of the gate yeah yeah, yeah. So, I mean, same for so many you know especially if you came from bmx it was mm-hmm. definitely uh ec actually said i posted a video of ec um you know when i did the first part of his podcast and i posted mont saint uh the final which is him pro cop uh lopes and uh which um, it was Mon- Mont Saint Anne. I, oh, I, I, Mon- I did one last week as well of Mont Saint Anne, and EC was saying he was the only guy on suspension in that main. You know, Prokop, Lopes, EC, and uh, that was one other guy anyway. So yeah, EC made the suspension work. I mean, he he was really good technically. Like, right. He knew exactly how he wanted a suspension. He knew his setup, and I feel like that's one of the big reasons he he was able to make it work all the way to an advantage point because he really understood mm-hmm. you know the benefit that it was providing him and how he could use it against the competitors i mean he's super analytical yeah no absolutely um okay so cannondale did, did you ride with anybody else after that or did you ask when you yeah from cannondale i went to comensal and oh, okay. finished yeah, yeah. up my last couple years with comensal before i pretty much stopped racing altogether so how did them last few years go and what made you decide to uh call the race in a I mean, the biggest reason was I hit a plateau. And for me, it just was the realization was I don't, you know, I wasn't going to be winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as I loved the the circuit, and I loved being out there, and I loved, you know, built a whole life on the industry, I really 
wasn't there to be mid-pack. And so once I realized that it wasn't going to happen for me, then I, I took some advice I got from EC early on in my career about school mm-hmm. and just broke off and went back to school. Mm-hmm. So you stopped completely then and just full school mode? Yeah, I had to because I, uh, I didn't have a lot of money and, and I needed to figure out a way to, to get scholarships and, and go to school. So I, I turned it into a career and I just became a professional student, bas- right. basically. And what was your first job after uh, school? I uh, worked at CatEye Bicycle Electronics. They're in Boulder, Colorado. Um, their U.S. base is in Boulder, a uh, Japanese company. Mm-hmm. And I did customer service. So you literally moved out there for a while then? Yeah, for about a year. Okay. Yep. And then from there? From there, I uh, thought I wanted to go back to school. Started going back to school at UCSD. I moved back to San Diego and uh, quickly realized that med school wasn't going to be something that I'd be into, even right. though I kind of cleared the path for it. And uh, went back to my roots, got a job at a bike shop to really just take a, take some time and figure out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then through that process, met some people from WD-40 as they were launching the bike line. Okay, so that's, so you went from there straight to WD then, right? Yep. So tell us about, you know, maybe your, your first few years at WD-40 and some of the things that you was doing and brought in to, uh, to focus on. Yeah, I first joined WD-40 as inside sales, so I uh, was calling bike shops and selling in our new products, and then slowly uh, they started tapping into some of my mountain bike network, and we started sponsoring some mountain bike athletes and sponsoring some mountain bike events, and then got into a bit of BMX, that's when you and I hooked up. Yeah, yeah. I and actually saw you at the Quick and Dirty, I think that's where we started talking. Yeah, on exactly. The, uh, Wednesday nights, whatever it was. Yeah, because we were sponsoring the local series. So then that quickly turned into pretty much a more or less full-time marketing job. So the company saw that, you know, maybe my time was better used in that area. Mm-hmm. And then helped build out the mountain bike program, helped build out our grassroots bmx program with you mm-hmm. and uh it's now evolved into sports marketing position yeah that's awesome mm-hmm. uh tell us a little bit about the, the the mountain bike side some of the guys that you guys are supporting and involved i know you're always at different events i'm you know text you or call you at some event somewhere around the country or yeah you know, you've got your fingers in some pie tell us a little bit about uh, yeah the mountain bike side so the mountain bike side we uh we work with a number of athletes cross country downhill um, syndicate racing, so the Santa Cruz Syndicate, they've got Minar, Luca, Loris, and then we also work with the mechanics because that's kind of more towards our product line. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Danny Hart over in the UK, he's one of our athletes, and we support Aaron Huck on the cross country side. We work with Jeff Kabush. Um, gosh, I'm probably missing missing some people, but yeah, we've got a whole roster of of uh of top athletes in cross country and then some of the and events you, in some of the events that you go to i mean uh, uh we were talking on the phone last week um about one coming up next year um tell us a little bit about a mountain bike festival it's not a lot of the a lot of the listeners are bmx people and mm-hmm. uh you know we've talked a few times about the seattle classic and stuff but you go to a lot of that kind of stuff but um yeah like the gravel events and all that kind of Stuff is like a whole different world now, isn't it, in, um, in, in the bigger bikes? Yeah, the gravel, the gravel thing is taken off right now. Um, I mean, our, our event selection is really based on if, if we, WD-40, can add value. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're not big fans of just showing up and setting up a tent and hanging out. Um, we're, we really try to activate within the event, uh, providing a bike wash is one of our main things mm-hmm. that we do. So we partner with 
um, the crew at Mont St. Anne, they do the World Cup this year. They're doing the World Championships. We provide a bike wash. We do the same thing at Sea Otter. So that's kind of a key way we try to activate within the industry. Gravel fits pretty well nice into that because they go out and thrash their bikes all day long and then bring it back. Mm-hmm. Um, that drives a lot of our selection. And then beyond that, it, um, events that we truly believe in that we're passionate about. So some of the urban downhill stuff, we work with Red Bull down in Chile on that event. That's one that goes through the street, right? Yep, that's exactly. I've seen the videos of that mm-hmm. one, yeah. And then we did Rampage this year, and we washed bikes at Rampage, like all the spectators that have to ride down this dirt road to get out there. So we, we went there and activated our brand and products over there. How many guys would you have then for a bike wash at like a big event? Uh, it depends. Um, at least if it's, if it's a smaller event or a more streamlined event, then it'll be three to four people. But... For example, the BC bike race is a seven-day stage race around British Columbia. Mm-hmm. We'll work with the local high school mountain bike leagues or the local mountain bike clubs, and we'll bring in volunteers. Mm-hmm. And then they all get some products at the end of the day and a hat or whatever. So we try to work within the community if it's a big event. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a smaller event, then you know usually a few people. Yeah, that's oh, super cool. And they're DIY washes, so they're kind of set up for people to kind of come in, wash their own bikes, um, BC bike race is an exception. That's kind of more of a, where we do it for them with the clubs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, give me a little history on WD 40. Cause like say when, when, when we started talking again and I, I pulled out all my old GT stuff when mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously WD 40 was a huge sponsor in the nineties for GT when I was on, on that. And I've still got, you know, which I've, I've shared with you guys, uh, so much stuff, you know, pictures, number plates and stuff that it's cool because you've actually got some of that stuff down here now which is really mm-hmm. um odd to for you guys to do that um so yeah tell us a little about the the history of gt and and, and uh, gt of uh, wd and uh it's been you know even on the local news i mean you guys get named up quite a bit you know which is cool yeah yeah so the the history of wd40 and cycling came out of a lot of research that the company did seeing that one of the number one ways uh, kids are introduced to the the brand or is when they're working on their bicycle. Mm-hmm. So that really is what sparked the the idea of getting involved with cycling um, on a deeper level mm-hmm. and supporting this channel that helps drive uh, a massive amount of awareness and brand loyalty from a really young age. Um, the GT WD40 team. I mean, that was an iconic team. I grew up, you know, watching you guys race and. And seeing that team, and I feel like they kind of set the bar almost for what a factory team mm-hmm. looks like. And uh, it was a good time. I mean, Gary Ellis was on that yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. And you guys were team. heavily branded as well. So it's like yeah. you, you really see WD-40 on on the uniforms and the trucks. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it was, it was super cool. I mean, it was the GT WD-40 team. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a little bit of the history and the background of why we got into bikes. And then as the as the channel progressed and bikes got more, um, you know, specialized in nature, they, they got more technical, the, the uses for the product got more specific is when the company decided to launch a line of bike products. Mm-hmm. And so you're like totally in charge of the, the direction of the marketing, the, um, you know, like kind of the vision, the, the bike guy, I guess, right? Um, I'm, I'm solely focused on two wheel mm-hmm. um, and sports marketing. There's a, there's a group of us, the brand team, that is collectively in charge of the direction. Mm-hmm. But my main task is to translate what's going on in the industry back into our business and kind of create this back and forth ebb and flow 
So we're helping, you know, move the industry in the right direction, move the category in the right direction to spread um, maintaining your bike and and the importance of maintaining your bike to as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of, that's what I really view my my role as is getting more people to take care of their bicycles, maintain their bicycles, at least at the bare minimum, even just lubing your chain because uh, you have a better, a much better time riding your bike. So that's that's the big thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, obviously, because like I say, it's very a lot of BMX guys listen to this. Um, you're in like like EC as well, just obviously heavily involved in mountain biking, and you're seeing you know, the professional side that you obviously, you know, pay attention to BMX racing. Um, what do you say? Well, what do you say? What do you see uh, in BMX racing right now? You know, as you're looking in. The the level is higher than I've ever seen it. So, you know, you go to the track and you see guys racing and doing gates and stuff. The level is really high. The, the, the challenge that's always been for me with BMX in the last few years is really getting getting the grassroots kind of out and more prevalent and connecting that to the top pro riders um it's really hard when i grew up racing bmx and i remember you know there's you know eddie king the silver bullet or flying brian lopes Mm -hmm. or you know the lumberjack (laughs) um all these guys that were like icons and and it was really easy to connect them to the grassroots racing programs and i feel like right now in bmx it's hard to do that so when I work with you and really focusing on the grassroots, it's really clear, um, you know, when I look at what do I want to do in the pro section, it's almost like, well, who's going to the Olympics? And then, mm-hmm. you know, do is it worth getting involved on that level? Um, and what is it going to help drive? And that's a challenge. It's hard to quantify. Obviously, there's television views, there's this and that, but then you're competing with a whole host of other sports mm-hmm. in a limited TV time. So I believe that for me, you know, it's, I'm, I'm having a hard time as a, as a brand and, and leading WD-40 in the direction of BMX. How do we connect the grassroots to the pros? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a challenge because the pros are focused on the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And, and the grassroots are focused on these regional and more national level races. And there needs to be a, a clear path, I believe, between both of them. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree. Um, Back to WD40, uh, the building here, and, and, and like I said, we we're just talking now, like there's room out there for a pump track. I mean, it's such a cool, cool, um, yeah, cool yeah. place to work. So tell us a little about the building itself, like say the canteen, and the, it's just like, yeah, it's really. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a cool building. Um, it's, it's, we call it the teepee. Um, it's, it's more, so we look at the culture as, as a tribe. And if you walk throughout the building, there's a lot of little uh, pieces of the building that will kind of point to what our brand has been involved in. So some of the lights hanging from the ceilings look like old headlight mm-hmm. uh, housings from old you know, vehicles, Chevrolets, Fords in the 50s and 60s. Um, the cantina is, is an area where we kind of gather and throw parties and have, you know, have lunch or whatnot. But it's really, it's a place that reflects who we are as a company so if you walk into this building and you walk throughout you're going to see company history but you're also going to see a lot about the people and and what we're all about Mm -hmm. and what's the what do you see in the future then like for the bike division within wd the bike division is uh in the future is honestly getting more people aware of maintenance products for bicycles 
-hmm. That's really what it is. So we, we really focus on the end user um, and the end user being the person that's going to end up using our products on their bicycles. The beginner rider who shops at Walmart buying their first bike, the pro rider who needs equipment because they're going to go make a run at making the world's team you know, in mountain biking as a junior. We want to we make sure that we're there for everyone on, on both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. And then we strategically choose partners that are willing to help us get there. So choosing big retail partners that will help us get our products to the masses, the ones who don't always walk into a bike shop or may not know where to go online to find it. And then getting into the bike shops, getting into all the online locations. But it's really about making our products easy to find for every cyclist out there who's interested in maintaining their bicycle. Mm-hmm. And what's your, because obviously the landscape's changed so much now, you know, with, with media itself, you know, uh, social media, what's your thoughts on on that and how much do you guys uh, use it or, or, you know, utilize it for uh, WD? It's a big part of our communication strategy. I, You know, social media is is getting a lot of attention based on, you know, being this new platform to communicate and that's that's very much true for us, but it's not just social media. I feel like we try to look at it as it's a communication platform. So back when I was growing up, it was magazines, mm-hmm. forums, um, you know, going to the races, the, the newsletters that they used to publish. Yes. So now we've got this platform that we can communicate what we're doing as a brand, who we're supporting, um, and kind of what our ethos is. And we really look at it as a communication strategy for all the things that we do. Yeah, and let's say you guys are literally out there at the events, supporting the events, being part of the community and stuff. And and that's the main mm. thing I think um, that we try to put a focus on is doing the real work and putting in the real work. So going to the event, building these authentic real relationships, washing bikes, adding value when we sponsor an event, mm-hmm. and then leveraging social media as a platform to communicate those things rather than looking at social media as, as the only way. As the only way. Which a lot of people do, unfortunately, within within BMX race, you know. It's like sometimes you feel like some people don't even leave the the office or whatever and get out in the field and see what's really going on, you know. And let's say you guys are hitting both ends, which is uh, important in today's today's world, right? Right, yeah, because if you just do the if you just do the social media post but it's not built on, on any true story, it's mm-hmm. it's not authentic. It's yeah. not it's not genuine. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, all right, let's kind of wrap it up with uh, some of your favorite riders over the years, past mm. and present. Uh, I guess you can do BMX and, and mountain biking as well. Any discipline? Gosh, I mean, BMX, I had a, I had a bunch. I, I really loved, uh, I mean, Eddie King was a huge inspiration. I would say he was by far my formative years, the biggest influence. I have a funny story about Eddie, actually. Um so my dad really wanted me to get good at BMX, and so did my mom. So uh, they hired Eddie to to coach me. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, a little bit. So <laughs> he was he was able to to coach me a bit. But then it turned into a really good friendship, and mm-hmm. and uh, I learned a ton from him. Um, and within BMX, you know, Mikey King, watching him race, uh, Eric Carter, Brian Lopes, Gary Ellis, the Housemans. I remember going to Grands and seeing the Hausmans there and the whole free They were so, both so good, weren't oh, they? Oh, yeah, they were so good. So. I rode with Gary for the first time. You know, I haven't seen him in, in a long time, probably over 10 years. Mm-hmm. We, 
went up to Temecula last week and rode with uh, Matt Ortwine and, and and Gary was there as well. So it's cool to see him. Yeah, Alex, I still really remember him as a little kid and then obviously yeah. a little bit older when I raced him in, in Fort Cross a few times. But uh, yeah, but him and, and, and me and Gary was talking about the old BMX action and BMX Plus, like Rich and Gary Houseman were like, like pros then, weren't they? I mean, yeah. I, I didn't even live in America and I knew who they were and they were factory riders and, and magazines. Oh, yeah. It was very uh, part of them superstar 80s, you know? Yeah, they were legit. They were really inspirational. Um, uh, Jamie Lilly, she raced. Uh, she raced BMX, San Diego girl. Yeah, yeah, San Diego, and we're my family was really good friends with her family, so we got a chance to to ride together. And as she progressed in her BMX career, it was definitely an inspiration. And she, like I say, she was part of GT with WD Forty as mm-hmm. well, you know. So yeah, you know, she was part of that part as well, you know. Yeah, and then mountain biking. There was a lot. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of years spent under Cedric Gracia's wing for, for right. the better or worse. <laughs> That's why I remember you because she was with Cedric a lot of the times, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, he was always the... Eric Carter, he was a huge uh, a huge influence. He was actually the one that told me that if I ever had the opportunity to go to school that I should do it. So that was that was a big one when I, when I decided to finally go to school. Mm-hmm. But then he also gave me my first road bike, taught me how to train, used to come over to my parents' house in Fallbrook and build jumps, so... He was huge. Uh, Chris Powell used to ride with him a lot. Um, Petey, Fulios, mm-hmm. Kavarik, Sam Hill, all those guys. Were yeah, so many legends and guys. Insane, yeah. And they're all still riding, aren't they? I see Kavarik does like schools and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He yeah, he does a lot of stuff in Whistler and in other places, yeah. Yeah. What about events? Because, man, but that's one thing, you know, BMX has still got a few traditional races we go to every year. You know, you got your, your Phoenix, obviously, you got Grands in Tulsa. Um, you know, a few events throughout the year, even even now, we've still got a few places, you know, Kentucky. But mountain biking really seems like they have certain events that are on the calendar every year. You're just saying that next year the Worlds are at Mont St. Anne. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so which are the, some of the, the best events you've liked over the years in mountain biking? And uh, yeah, that maybe that, that as well. Yeah, Mont St. Anne's always a great event. That's a flagship stop on the World Cup, um, you know, similar to Fort William over Fort in, William, yeah. in Europe. Uh, sea Otter is always good. It's got some years are great, some years not so much, but they're really consistent. It's a great event for the industry. And you guys, it's a big deal for you guys, right? You guys go there and... and... Yeah, we, uh, we set up a wash there and we've done that the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big event because you get all the disciplines. Mm-hmm. You get mountain biking, you get road cycling. Um, BMX used to be there. Uh, they still do some maybe freestyle stuff and pump track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it covers pretty much all the all the different events minus track and, and BMX racing. So that's a really good one. Um, BC Bike Race is a really cool event that we've done the last few years and a really good testament for, for us to go and... That's and, more and cross you, country, right? Yeah, it's cross country. It's mountain bike stage racing, mm-hmm. so it's held over seven days all over British Columbia, mm-hmm. different stages. That's a cool one. This year we went to an event, a mountain bike event, Trans Cascadia, out in Washington, and that was really good. Mm-hmm. There's so many with with mountain bikes. It's really hard because you have a whole lot of good events to choose from. Yeah, it's not like the state back in the day was it? I think it was just like Norber and like and like BMX. We obviously we had a national series as well, but mountain yeah. biking seems like you can do so much stuff without even be chasing national points or being a national champion. You can get so creative. You'll see a lot of the old guys, you know, yeah. still involved and in, in racing in different levels at different 
you know, uh, different events and stuff, you know, it seems like there's so much more option to do as a rider and, you know, to, to create value for your sponsors and some of the events and stuff you can do as a mountain biker, you know? Yeah, I mean, the national series in, in the U.S. for mountain biking is... I mean, it's not, it's not all that, uh, it's not all that great right now. There's the national champs every year, but all the best riders are focused on the world cup and sometimes there's conflict. So it's not like the, the Norba days in the late nineties right. where, you know, the Norba nationals was the place to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like, like, like you just said that the world cups are still very high up in everybody's, uh, yeah, yeah thing to do and tip, mm-hmm. which is cool. Well, cool. I, I guess what, like one last thing I did want to ask you about pump tracks, you know, it seems like, um, they're, they're catching on a lot, maybe more in Europe, but now we're seeing at least in the, the a little bit crossover in BMX, this Red Bull are doing a pump track world championships are going to different spots around the world. And they just had the finals, uh, earlier this summer or later this summer. Um, a few months ago that David Graff won. Uh, what's your views on pump track? And, and maybe that could be, it could maybe really help BMX if that kind of takes off and uh, a little bit more in the, the next couple of years, I would think it could be a cool thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I really honestly think that pump track and BMX have something that no other discipline have. And I don't feel like as an industry, we've really embraced it yet. Is mm-hmm. the fact that you can start riding a BMX bike and you can start ripping around a pump track at an age that you can't do on a road bike or a mountain bike. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big miss within BMX, which is why I'm, you know, we, we support your program, the things you do with the YMCA, the things where you go to, to the schools and, and promote BMX. Cause it's almost this, it's a foundational building block for all disciplines of cycling. And I love the Olympics. I think that it's that it's rad and, and to push the sport to the edge, but it's I feel like at the moment it's removing the the highlight off of really what BMX's strength is, which is getting people on bikes. Mm-hmm. You can put someone on a on a BMX bike at three years old. Really difficult to do that with a mountain bike. I mean, they brought the age down now. You you know, there's certain companies making mountain bikes for six, seven-year-olds, but mm-hmm. you can't really mountain bike until you've got a little more strength in your body, and, and that doesn't really happen until double digits. So I feel like that's the opportunity for pump track and BMX and then, you know, connecting it to these heroes that are going to the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand. No, that's cool, and like I say, I really hope that pump track, uh, and it's a good crossover, like I say, it's with the mountain bikers. Like, like I say, when we did full cross, um, you know, it was a bunch of BMXers, you know, we all get kind of followed the lead of, you know, Eric and, and Brian and a lot of us went in and out of it for, you know, for fun and, and did events in it, but it was a cool crossover, you know, we got to hang out with the mountain bike guys, you guys always would party after the race and, yeah. you know, me at the time as a racer at BMX, like I was at the end of my pro career, but I really enjoyed going to the World Cups because it was fun, you know, and I was like, wow, these guys have fun, they race hard, it's a good event, people are watching and then everybody goes down into the you know, the, the main area after and gets drunk, you know, I always thought yeah. that was, that was really cool. And with BMX racing now, it's, it's got even more jock, you know, serious than, yeah. than then, which, you know, 10 years ago. Um, but I think the mountain bikers have always done a great job of keeping the fun aspect into it and, uh, showcasing a lifestyle and, and, uh, uh something that BMX could help more. And maybe this pump track could be a bit more of a, in the future, a cross where we could kind of, yeah, mingle with you guys a little bit more and, and the riders can gain, you know, opportunity maybe like I say with some of these mountain bike companies and brands at the same time, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I went to the pump track world, world championships out in, uh, 
Spring Springdale, just outside of Bentonville, right, Arkansas, and it was cool. It was really cool to see the mountain bikers and the BMXs, BMXers battle it out and mm-hmm. and go back and forth. Um, I think what Claudio and Velo Solutions is doing for for cycling is is massive. I don't know if if the industry is fully em, embraced, like or not embraced, but is realizing like the value that yeah. these pump tracks are. Are providing and and the avenue for for the kids and for people who are in different parts of the world to to get access to ride mm-hmm. BMX bikes or, or ride hardtail mountain bikes and learn how to pump, learn how to roll around a track, and uh, for for him or for the industry to be able to link that directly to BMX, I think is a is a really smart move. Um, I mm-hmm. think it'll bring some of the fun back into it, maybe, and absolutely, yeah, and keep it a little bit lighter. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm I'm excited to uh, hopefully that, that 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 the world championship grows and then it can like um, turn into like a regional maybe type thing as well. Like like say even here in San Diego and Temecula, mm-hmm. think of the the amount of people that would would be into that kind of uh, you know just whether that's just hanging out and race you know riding or little local races would be cool you know with all the motocross mountain bike BMX guys you know the old school guys the young kids and like say my daughter rides now you know so it's yeah it really is appealing for everybody so I'm excited about uh, potential that could come of the whole pump track thing but the, the, the olympics thing is strong i mean i saw some long seat posts at the pump track worlds even oh you did oh man what a letdown <laughs> well, at least they didn't put it on the little edits the, so, the anyway. recovery rides were going strong oh re- oh man i apologize for bmx um on bmx's behalf um robin let's uh people want to get hold of you people want to uh follow you um what saw your uh social uh for you and for uh, wd40 as well yeah wd40 is at wd40 bike um my instagram is at r Bellucci. and uh yeah i'm pretty easy to get a hold of yeah absolutely and like yeah. i say thanks for doing this thanks for sponsoring our team and my program you've been um yeah a key sponsor since i started doing my own thing after free agent with uh, the stay strong team and then you know, as that's crossed over into uh, did a little bit with GT and, and now with Horror for the last couple of years and you guys that, you know, I always tell you, hey, this year we're going to go this route. And you're like, I'm on board. I'm like, well, I haven't even told you yet, but <laughs> you always support me. So I, I appreciate that in WD40 and it's uh, very cool to uh, to work with you. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks, Robin. And we'll uh, catch you all next time. Cheers. Cool. Thanks, Dale. Cheers.